Alvin Lee's now familiar lyrics, fleece the rich, starve the poor, till there are no folks that aren't under our dominion no more. Uh, Don't often remind you of the other lyrics in that song, which are in that first set of lyrics there before the refrain. This is everywhere are dykes and fairies, freaks and harries, harries. Not like Harry Potter, but Harry's. Tell me, where is sanity? Well, there's some sanity right there. Just call on sanity and it shows right up. How about that, man? You know you're on the right track when. Boom. Good morning to you. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for bringing us some sanity. Well, I'm not sure about that, but I try to work for truth at least. Well, I said, you know, I was talking about the Alvin Lee song at the end there, adding the other lyrics that generally we don't play anymore, and saying, tell me where is sanity. That's how the lyrics end up there, and bam, you called, so I figured you must be sanity. Well, uh, actually, I was doing some deep research into FOIA requests from the FOIA guide on the Internet and looking at that. meanings of umbrella issues and exigent requests and uh, little matters like that of uh, little significance to most people except for those of us who are defending against liberty and freedom and trying to preserve innocent people from being murdered under the pretext that they're dangerous terrorists whenever somebody has a substantial financial interest in labeling so innocent people, therefore putting a clear and present imminent danger to them being obliterated under the planet and creating a true public safety issue and national security issue for the we the people. Well, you got a bunch of slaves running around. You got a national security issue in the first place. Uh, obviously, I want. I didn't even get a chance to introduce uh, Roger Sales here. Uh, uh, Radio Ranch, name of the program, People's Patriot Network, name of the venue, and uh, of course, I got here via. Years of in-depth research, as Chris was alluding to, deep, deep diving research, deep, deep thinking, because a lot of the stuff that we've been able to put together, you're just not going to find somewhere. Okay, you're you're not going to find it spelled out in some secret memo that uh, you can. I mean, the Colonel House piece of paper is pretty indicative and indicting too but you generally have to piece these things together and uh kind of sometimes realize that uh two things do equal another even though you don't maybe see an immediate connection because that's the way our enemies work that's who they are um and if you don't understand that about them and how they work what did they say? You don't you don't yank on Superman's cape. You don't urinate into the wind. Okay, so, something like that. Well, it's funny. What we've learned is you can absolutely dethrone Superman because the truth is kryptonite to super. You know the crypt the the truth here that we've got is kryptonite to super ferrocyte. Okay, and because uh, it absolutely just mummifies them. It it makes them deaf, dumb, and 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 domiciled. 
But curiously, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm doing a multi-pronged attack, much like they do. They never have one objective. Oh, they never. They have multiple objectives when they do something. And I like to picture this conundrum as like maybe a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle of all white black pieces. You don't have any guide to put them together, and they're all spread out all over the place. You've got to collect them around, put them together, to put together the picture, because they don't want you to put the puzzle together. I mean, that's exactly correct. And those that there's people in our community, unfortunately, that can't think outside the box. And they see these books, and they say, these are these law books, and I, everything has got to operate within this. It's like the Russians believing that we honor all those treaties and stuff. You know, just recently there's been headlines out there. That Russia's big mistake is to think that the U.S. follows these things. Okay. It ain't nothing but a doggone piece of paper. Well, you're just dealing with snakes. You're dealing with snakes. I was been watching a lot of videos here lately, especially surrounding World War One. I. I got off on a jag this weekend of going back over, and I was a little bored this weekend, and I'm sitting there going, God, you know, no, no good sports on, you know. Super Bowl's not till next week. There's some decent basketball games on, the hockey uh, uh, all-star game. So you didn't have any games around that. And, and so I'm sitting there kind of bored this weekend. And, and I thought, well, I like, I like James Corbett a lot. I've always really respected his work. And I really, uh, we talked a good bit about the world war one documentary. If you didn't hear those shows, uh, by all means, uh, avail yourself of, the wealth of research and work and time that James Corbett put into producing that. I guess there's three episodes, Chris, and it's probably close to two hours long. Um, stuff I've never been exposed to before. I dare say if you have not viewed it, it'll be things in there you've never been aware of before. And uh, quite a tool, and I would encourage everybody to watch that. Uh, if if uh, one of the main reasons is that was their first step, major step forward to get to where they wanted to end up in the agenda. So it was very important to them. It's incredible the history that surrounds that era. And so I was delving into that a bit over the last couple of days. And you can go uh, to... And Skullbudgery carried out by the supposed president leaders of the world... Stalin, Churchill, FDR, and uh, uh, not even only that. It's the people behind the scenes that this exposes so thoroughly that have have near, not heretofore had enough light shined on their sorry ass histories and legacies. Quite frankly, mm. and uh, so there's that main nugget that that three part series World War One documentary. I encourage everybody to watch Corbett Report. That's two T C O R B E T T Report dot com over there. Uh, James has been out there for many years now, ten fifteen years or something, just doing. I don't think I've hardly ever seen anything he's put out that I just wasn't real impressed with and walked away with some nuggets. Okay, uh, so what I did was go over there to his website and start poking around, 
and I found a, a, a number of other real good interviews that surround this topic with people that contributed to that main documentary on World War One, being interviewed on their own on different aspects of this time frame. Very, very interesting. I've, I've spent, you know, four or five hours watching these videos over the last couple of days. One of them that shocked me, Chris, and man, I mean, I'm, I doubt if I could find anybody that's ever heard of this. Was the role that Herbert Huber, Herbert Hoover played in the World War One era in the teens, and how they used him, and later on, fifteen years later, to be popped up there in the presidency when they pulled the string on the stock market. But he was real dirty, Herbert Hoover. There was a they set him up in a supra national position and used it to funnel supposedly on the surface even overrode all the other american uh, uh organizations and stuff let me see that's the i hate to get interrupted with those things right there during our program uh and he was put supranationally even over the british organizations and and allowed to be just the point spear with the final word on all of the food supply for belgium now i didn't know about this chris and you probably in the audience might not either uh interesting history here um they supposedly there was a group of belgians that were starving there during world war one and there was a big relief effort put on the u.s was not in the war yet and there was a big squeeze put on the american people with a big propaganda uh uh, uh a campaign plus a government subsidy of 2.5 million dollars a month to buy food and get it to these starving Belgians that were in the middle of this World War One fiasco that was going on at the time, right? But they were taking that food and taking it through Belgium and sending it to Germany and feeding the starving German uh, machine to keep World War One elongated, I guess, till they could get the U.S. into it. Herbert Hoover ran that he ran that entire operation. That's a psyops operation and it's a divide to conquer and basically a starvation of some to the benefit of others. And this is the unfortunate conundrum. You know, we always are told in the patriot community that we have to work local and think local. However, when you think local, you're obstructing yourself from what's going on in the rest of the world around you, and it might impact you dramatically. Well, I, you know, the, the phrase I remember, which I think is accurate, Chris, and I understand you're taking the overstatement of that, because, but all politics is local. Okay. And that goes back to show you about our approach here. No, I don't want one of your damn updates. Good God, I hate Microsoft. You were here to help you. They even they even pop a window. Oh, hey, it's time for an update. Would you like to would you like to bend over now or later? I'll bend over later, thanks. Jeez, uh, <laughs> almighty these people. Um I swear one of these days we're gonna switch to Linux and just get away from all this stuff. Uh you know, the the reason is I just you don't want to sit down and make a major change. You know, I got to sit down and learn something new, plug everything in, go through that whole learn learning curve deal, and 
I just try and fight it a little bit here lately with that. But we'll see. This works for now. Paul says he's got a way to straighten out this Skype situation, and we haven't been able to get together yet. So uh, hopefully that'll happen. But, oh, you know what that is? <laughs> That is too uh, cool. That, what, what? It was the the orchestra was warming up because the fat lady's gonna sing. Oh, kitty, kitty! <laughs> you know what that is, Chris? It's not your it's not your grandbaby's chimes over the crib. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> okay. Well, let me let me just give play a little bit again. See if you get any clue here. Do you hear some of those? Ding, 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 ding. Sound like the tones that you used to hear on international calls, fax machines, and sometimes on attenuating frequencies for. Uh, television production and things like that only if you're being eavesdropped on <laughs> let me tell you what that is that is a cool site john brought it back up yesterday i remember it from a couple of years ago but i'd forgotten about it this is a, a site called bitlisten.com bit b-i-t listen.com and every time you hear one of those chimes, it's a block, a Bitcoin transaction. And every oh yeah, I heard yesterday those bubbles popping and so on and so forth was a different one, wasn't it? Was I man, le- who was it? Lawrence Welk that had the bubble machine. Yes, he'd lo- he'd love yeah. to have this bubble machine because <laughs> it just shows all these man. I mean, hundreds of bubbles. And they're different sizes depending on the size of the transaction. And it gives you the Bitcoin amount that each transaction carries. And it gives you an accompanying, an accompanying tone. Audio visual representation. Just for the, just for the audio there. Uh, bitlisten.com. I'd encourage all of you to go to your computer your desktop computer, so other than your phone. I don't know how this could show on a phone. But uh, it is better, obviously, on a bigger screen. And look at bitlisten.com. Now, there's a couple of things that are real important. This has been around for a while. It registers every Bitcoin transaction on the face of the globe, I guess in real time, Chris. Okay. And it gives you the size of the transaction. And even when there's a completed block, you know, when's, when one of the miners wins the, the uh, uh, formula and a block is closed out and they're given the reward, even the blocks show up here. And it tells you what block it is and this, that, and the other. And But what I see now is a predominant, a predominant, Oh, what's the word I want? Uh, avalanche of very small transactions. Now, when I looked at this a couple of years ago, it was before the Bitcoin fees really spiked there for a while with this size in the blocks and stuff inside the community. But uh, you didn't see a whole bunch of small one cent, one cent, one cent, two cent. 
uh, uh, five cent, nine cent, four cent. You see a lot of that on there. See some for a couple of dollars. You see some for, I saw one yesterday for 500 Bitcoin. Uh, you see some floating around for two, 300 Bitcoin. There's one for 33.13 Bitcoin. So as they're floating through there, but the predominant amount of them now are these small amounts, one cent, one cent, one cent, 17 cents, 20 cents, uh, and just on and on. And the screen's full of them, okay? You know what those are, Chris? I sort of think they might be commissions or residuals, compensations, uh, percentages. John said yesterday, obviously he's getting this from his BitClub network connections, that it's people that are setting up blockchains and all this experimental stuff and the foundational stuff that's being built with all these blockchains all over the world from different companies and that they're testing the blockchain. Hmm, and that... And that it's uh, all these pro when they put evidently as to gear up for later on down the line when everything is digitized and at the day, however many years away, when you could you could come down here and decide you want to live in Ecuador, Chris, and come down here and find your house and put a contract on it and close it in the same day. Hmm, that's an interesting question. Can Americans own land, or is it a 99-year lease? No, no, no. You can own land here. Hmm. A lot of Americans do. You know, I would say this is uh, advice, and this is true advice. It was advice from a guy that would know, and that was Bob Chapman. You remember Bob Chapman, right, Chris? Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I spoke with him personally. Here's a block coming through. Uh, I spoke with Bob personally before I moved to Argentina. I actually took a phone. You know, he let me call him and, and spent a, a good bit of time on the phone with me, and I was asking him about Argentina and moving and this, that, and the other. But one of the things he would say publicly, and he told me that day on that private call too, by the way, was he said, listen, don't when you go somewhere, don't buy anything for a minimum, a minimum of two years. Rent. Do not buy. And I've been, since I've been down here for 10, I can understand the importance of that statement from several different angles. One is uh, these cultures are different from ours, okay? Yeah. And, uh, uh, it, it, and you got to, most Americans don't know how to differentiate that, okay? And these people see these gringos coming down here, and everybody from the U.S. is rich, first of all. And so uh, you, they're coming down here with these handfuls of these uh, very coveted things called dollars and waving them around going, God, this land's cheap. I'm a, I've always wanted to be a winemaker, you know. Yeah. And, and, buddy, they're going to fleece your ass every time. Well, you know, I, I did travel a little through middle Mexico down in uh, – the Sierra Madre and that area, Mazatlan. And I do observe what you're saying to be very relative material is that unless you've spent some time, learned the culture, the nature, the way of doing business, and the economic the situation that you're in, you really don't know what you don't know, and that can be very dangerous economically and otherwise to you. Yeah, let me see. Robert's trying to join us. Let me see if I can bring Robert in here. I got to find him first. There he is. 
uh, add him right in. Let's see if he comes in this time. Uh, no, I can't. Well, hell, we lost our internet. All right, hold on. I got the, I got two or three things happening here. Hold on. Oh, man, hopefully next week all this is going to be put to a minimum because I won't have Wi-Fi anymore, and we won't have to deal with this garbage, and maybe we can get this phone thing straightened back up, and we may be back in the saddle for no time there, Chris. Hopefully, let's see. Come on, connect. Chris, have I lost you too? We're back in okay. the saddle. Okay, all right, there. It finally kicked in. Bob, Robert, did we get you, or did you were calling in? I was trying to get you just when that was happening. So obviously I didn't. Let me try him again. Boy, I tell you, these technical things I got to deal with here are aggravating. Let's see if we can get Robert in. Uh, Robert, Robert, hey man, no, you rang. There it is. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Let me get somewhere here. Give me, give me just a second. Let me get somewhere. Yeah, you. You see now, Chris. Do you hear how clear he is? As a bell. That's because he's calling on Skype. Clear as a bell. Ah. <laughs> okay. Was, was that a hit, Maybe Roger? Stuck <laughs> with me and show me how to do that. Hey, man, I, you know, uh, we'll see if we can't get that done. R Robert, can you and Chris have lunch? <laughs> yeah, you, you bet. You bet. He's mine. Just a couple items, and I'll uh, drift off to the background. Please. Listen, L listening to your, your intro uh, made me chuckle when you – recite those words about the uh, fairies and such. Uh, Roger, you get occasionally um, American movies down there, don't you, in your neck of the woods? Yeah, they got them right down the hill. Some of them have subtitles, and some of them, uh, they're different here, you know. Uh, they leave the, and some of them, they've got voiceovers in Spanish, or they're Spanish films and stuff. Um, I went to one, I went to that one on Barry Seal here about a year ago. It was playing down at the hill. They got a nice theater down yeah, there, Bruce. you know, big yeah. modern mall. It's yeah. real. It's just like living in an American town, really, except everybody's a lot shorter than you are, and uh, they're a little bit yeah. different, you know. Sure. Well, if you get a chance uh, in the coming weeks or months, whatever, check out uh, Clint Eastwood's latest. Oh, movie. I want to. I want to. Movie. I want to. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a specific reason why you should check it out. <laughs> Because there's a scene in there <laughs> where he walks into this convenience store or restaurant or whatever the hell it is, and outside there's these ladies on these motorcycles, and they're having a one of them's having trouble starting their bike or whatever, <laughs> and they're a little rough around the edges, so to speak. And he walks up to them and tells them what the problem is, <laughs> and one of them said, "Hey man, <laughs> we're known as dykes on bikes, so when you said the lyrics to that song." <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> but you got to see it. It's, it's pretty sticky to play. <laughs> I saw the I saw the trailers on that on some of the the games I've been watching. I also and I haven't seen it show up down here yet, but I want to see Vice too. Uh, even though I understand it's not accurately portrayed and this that and the other, I'd still like to see it. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't, you know, I'm not, for me, Robert, I don't check on the local culture here. I don't check in the local newspaper. I don't listen to local news or radio. Uh, and I'm geared to, you know, it's like I, I live here, but my mind's up there. 
Okay. And uh, so I don't see as much as uh, our buddy Jack does. He's a little bit better. Of course, he's got an Ecuadorian girlfriend who speaks a little English, Mm -hmm. so she can peruse this stuff for him. But, you know, what's showing at the local theaters at the bottom of the hill at the mall? Uh, um, But I do want to see that that Clint Eastwood one, one for sure. I recommend it. It's not one of his better movies, but it's worth the price of admission. The other thing that uh, I wanted to chime in on, and I'll say this and let you go on to your main topics, is, um, Uh. yeah, James Corbett is excellent. He might uh, might give your good friend uh, in Utah, uh, Clint Richardson, a run for his money as a researcher. He's he's really dogged, really good, and he just finds all kinds of nuggets that, you're right, most people wouldn't even think about. Uh, but the guy is just a stupid good researcher. I mean, like some of the stuff he comes up with, like, damn, how do you know this? Where do you come up with this? Well, and I he, he's just, just he's off the chart. Well, I don't mean to besmirch Mr. Richardson, but I didn't find his research to be that in depth. I found his conclusions to be extremely shallow. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> well, uh, I have to defend him on one level. If you were to check out his. Um, uh, video uh, on uh, um, vaccines. I think you'd be impressed. Well, about could be. Maybe long to get comfortable. Well, it's it's, it's pretty. Uh, <laughs> it's on YouTube. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. Don't you inject persons with vaccines? <laughs> uh, there is no such things as the vaccines. <laughs> How can <laughs> I couldn't help that, Robert. That's just sitting there like a big fat softball over home plate. I know, and and I'll let you explain to Chris in case he didn't get it. So, but anyway, oh, no. I will. Uh, I will back off and let you boys uh, talk about. Uh, talk well, we don't have we don't have any any big agenda today. There's some things certainly I want to talk about. We're getting into this historical stuff, and I did want to bring up Herbert Hoover. That's this kind of stuff I don't want to talk about yesterday when it's supposed to want to talk about financial stuff. But this was on my mind yesterday because I'd just seen it on Sunday, and uh, but sure. I would I would. Encourage everybody go over there and spend if you got a little time you're sitting around wondering on what to do to educate yourself there's three or four of the Rothschilds interplay into those times uh the uh, uh, Woodrow uh, uh, Colonel House there's a whole hour background on Colonel House and the book Philip Drew Administrator and the intrigue around a lot of that there's one on uh, with with one of the authors over in Scotland, I believe. He's got a very uh, Scottish brogue, and, uh, yeah. and one of those guys that wrote one of the main book resources uh, that he used in researching for the documentary. And there's some real, real yeah. good interviews over there. If you like that kind of information, I I particularly yeah. find the his, yes. the historical facts embellish what we know. Mm-hmm. Really good one on Dallas Brothers too. Really interesting one on Alan Dallas. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched that one yet. I should go back through there and watch that one. Boy, that was I recommend. that was a pretty pretty terrible duo. He was. He, they were. Well, they were a lot of this is spurned. I mean, it's spurned from a marriage, from what I can tell and take away from what all I've looked at. It's spurned from the marriage of Cecil Rhodes and the Rothschilds. Okay, and it was the endless financing of the Cecil Rhodes activity in Lifetime combined with the Rothschilds' intrigue and power behind the scenes and people like Milner 
This guy Milner was a real piece of work, yeah. man. Lord Milner. I mean, this was yeah. psychopath supreme. Yeah, he probably was. But it all it all came out of um, actually very interesting. We touched on it, I think, with Brent. He he mentioned his name the other day, and I'd forgotten it, but he triggered a bunch because he's real integral in this whole thing. Is a guy named John Ruskin. Have you heard his name bantied around there, Robert? If I have, I don't remember. You may have to refresh me on him. Ruskin was Cecil Rhodes' teacher at Oxford that indoctrinated him with this philosophy. Now, John Ruskin also had a very good friend, and I don't remember his real name. You'd recognize his pen name. Uh, but he would, uh, John Ruskin was an art teacher. One of the things he taught, by the way, besides, I guess, being very interested in politics. And he would go over once a week to this friend of his, his house and give his two daughters watercolor drawing and painting instructions every, every week. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know who he was? No. Lewis Carroll. Oh, wow. Lewis Carroll. That's, uh. Allison, Alice, Alice in Wonderland, or originally, as it was originally named, through the Looking Glass. Glass darkly, yeah, or through the Looking Glass, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Is that where the character said words mean what I say they mean? Yeah, that's much? where that's the dialogue between Humpty Dumpty and Alice. But right there from the start, the original title, which they changed to Alice in Wonderland, tells you what's going on through the looking glass. What's a looking glass? A mirror. What's mirror? Opposites. Reflection. Yeah. And then it goes back yeah. to the scrying stones. To the what, Chris? The scrying holes. The what? The S C R Y I N G. I think scrying. It's where they view the future in these black bowls or black mirrors. Uh, I think Tesla did some of those things. John Dees was one of the first ones to actually employ that that we read about. Not that he was the first. I think the mystics have been doing that since the beginnings of time, looking into black bowls to see the future and be a futurist or a soothsayer or a prognosticator. Uh, well, I think that was appropriate because I believe their future is very black. Here, here. You can't press these ends and you can't change the natural order of things except maybe temporarily. You can do it temporarily and, and to some degree. But at some degree, you deviating from the natural order of things tips back and bites you, and that's the snake eating its tail, and it does it to them every time in every vector. You kind of have to wonder if John Dees was related to Modi's or down to Southern Poverty uh, or Pedophile Liar Center. Larceny, larceny. Sodomy Pedophile Larceny Center is what those people are. Proven. It's in court records. I'm not just pulling your leg here. It's not Roger blowing smoke. I am blowing well, absolutely. a Absolutely, it's not blowing a little cough though, pardon for the 
got some got some uh, construction going on in the background here and a little bit not bang banging like the other day as much but you may probably not may hear a little bit of ambient stuff occasionally it's not constant it's intermittent so uh but next week all this will be done and i'll be out there where it's quiet a little bit out in the country kind of which i'm really looking forward to not too far just a little bit on the edge of town there and uh uh, very nice surroundings a couple of big avocado trees right out front nice little table with chairs and umbrella underneath them a uh, couple other dwellings right in the on the property and a couple of nice folks so uh it's going to be a real pleasant experience for me guys robert are you I still with us no i think he said he was gonna have to drop off okay well it shows he's still there but you never can tell says i think he's got him as muted he's muted himself there um let's see what else did i, I have because i'm kind of in a loud place so yeah i'm still here okay there you go. i thought you were still so you want me to let you hear the tones again this is kind of interesting here i and went to that boom. website yeah it is pretty cool it's just a really slick isn't it but there's a predominant it is. It predominant is. amount of small transactions on here and that shows you and tells you that the foundation's being built if you want to look on that screen and see all those little one, two, and three and small transactions, one, two, and three cent and smaller transactions, you see the foundation for the future of one of the ways that commerce will be accomplished. And hopefully this way we get it out of their hands and we get it around them and we get people dealing with people and their banks and their governments out of the way. And should we get that done on any kind of a percentage scale, the world's going to be one hell of a lot nicer place to live. That's my feelings. Let's see what else. Uh, and really the main reason that uh, I promote all the stuff that we do is to try and make us stronger and hopefully what will be a better world. Uh, here's one that's kind of interesting to a bunch of folks, I think. And I haven't, I will kind of read it together, all right, because I haven't pre-read the article. Uh, Chris, you'll be interested in this particularly, I think. You still with us? Uh, I am. The U.S. Supreme Court finally takes another Second Amendment challenge to gun control. Now, uh, yeah, I've looked at that a bit. Pardon me, you did what? I've looked at that a little bit in the past few days. Okay. Well, that article came out a couple of days ago. Again, I couldn't mention it yesterday. Um, I could have. I just didn't want, want to get off on the discussion uh, yesterday. So uh, what happens when cases go to the Supreme Court? If, if you don't understand how, you don't just go up to the Supreme Court and file a case. I guess you probably could, but the, generally the cases aren't accepted that way. And it goes up through a hierarchical stepping stone like the slaughterhouse cases or Plessy v. Ferguson, where actually the first judge that got a hold of the Plessy case, they ended up 
joining him in, as the plaintiff and suing him all the way to the Supreme Court. But it had to go up through the appellate level in Louisiana. Then it had to go to the Louisiana Supreme Court. And then it went from the Louisiana Supreme Court to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, and there's usually a trail that you go to. And so how many cases do they get a year? 5,000 or something? Five to 10,000 cases. Right. Here's an intriguing question, Roger. I'm wondering if a non-citizen U.S. national has to jump through all those hoops to redress grievances and get access to American due process of law and substantial justice via the Supreme Court, the Federal Circuit Court of Claims, or the small D, small C district courts of the U.S. Uh, uh, I'm sorry I got distracted with this Skype thing. Um, But I'm just wondering about the degree of hoops that one has to jump to to get justice to go to the Supreme Court where there's a true Article Three potentiality. Uh, for U.S. nationals versus U.S. Well, citizens. I, I don't know. Uh, well, I can tell you there's a definite aversion up there to them taking cases that come the other direction from people that are U.S. nationals that are wanting to be the other status, and the Supreme Court wouldn't hear the case, and that's the uh, American Samoan cases that have gone up there recently. Well, you see, I think we're if, fixing to test the waters. Well, we, 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 uh, maybe I would be okay. Well, let's hope so. You know, that's how we need to make progress is people press the envelope. But um, the, uh, the problem they had with the American Samoa plebiscite case was that if they took the case, it would blow the lid off the whole thing. So you know they're not going to take it. Um, but well, the, another thing that I noticed that was pretty salient was that in one case, I read the court was taking particular note that the individual was maintaining their capital in natural rights as opposed to their so-called just civil rights, which are really privileges posed as rights. And they were making a critical distinction between that differentiation and the scope of coverage and protections from the natural versus the city law of Rome's just civilis rights. Oh, they understand what's happening, okay? When you get right down to it, these issues, they understand, and they talk around it in these other terms that you have to be able to identify and understand, all right? But my point in talking about it was you just don't plop a case up there on them. Hey, guys, will you listen to this issue? Well, it has to take a certain step and get up there, a protocol, if you will. And then there's a number of people that want them to hear different issues during the calendar year, and they all do what's uh, called certiary. They apply for certiary. In other words, they're putting this case up for consideration that these black robe folks up there will take it into their realm of, of, of decision making. And so there's only a, a couple of cases out of that five to 10,000 that are taken. Okay. They call it a rip cert, and you're right. Uh, in fact, I am of the opinion, based upon what I've studied, that they don't take just any case if there's not a particular political objective for the rump so called extreme Supreme Court. They won't hear it on anything. They'll deem it to be moot. They'll find some reason to 12B6 it. They'll say they don't have any standing. 
And that standing issue, I think that's key to the class of citizen or non-citizen that you may or may not be. Well, it is, uh, uh, but there's, I, I, didn't I send you that thing that Daryl sent me with that brief on this? I think you did, and uh, well, you, about the Supreme Court on no, the New York case, yes, I have well, looked at that. Well, let's talk, talking about this other, some other case, and it talks about, yes, they can come in there if they, it's under the injury what's called the injury provision, where somebody has to have actually been damaged. Well, that's natural law. So if you're a U.S. national and you've truly been injured, you can take it in there, evidently, from what I've read, and I haven't studied it. I just kind of breezed over it. Um, anyway, uh, what they generally, they take different cases for different reasons, and we know the court's been politicized because you can see what happened since FDR. It didn't used to be that way. But after he stacked it, it definitely has become that way, even more so, and we can see the results of that, Chris, by looking at the cage we're in. Well, I mean, you can't see the bars, of course, but when they, they put that damn cage around you with Brown versus Board of Education. Okay, they took they took uh, uh, lifted a sentence just just as Hugo Black, who was one of these bandits that Roosevelt stuck on the court, to equal out his so he could get his stuff through who was a former Ku Klux Klan grand wizard in Tennessee that took a one sentence out of a Jefferson letter to to friends of his totally out of context the separation of church and state and stuck it into a Supreme Court case and all of a sudden boom it becomes the law of the land separation of church and state separation and then that's used to go in and do things like take the Ten Commandments and God out of the schools and you can look and see what the results of that are everywhere are freaks and harrys dykes and fairies tell me where is sanity that's Supreme Court. That's politicization of the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, Roe versus Wade, where they can go in and, and because they changed the meaning of person, now a child that's in the womb because it's not born yet and doesn't have a birth certificate attached to it is free game. So now we got Roe versus Wade. Yes, another political decision. So obviously the court has been politicized. It's uh, very curious, Roger. It, it seems to me that this meme of separation of church and state uh, is particularly innocuous and an affront to the common sense of the people. If they can, let's say, eject all the Christian values and replace them with Talmudic Kabbalah values of the Zionist cult and the Roman Catholic cult churches, uh, how is that separation? That's explicit. Uh, discriminatory behavior, and it's picking the church of the state to be the accepted premise to the exclusion of all other, and that's not freedom of religion, that's freedom of discrimination. Well, and that's, to, this is the backside of all their agenda, okay? It's like these screaming dykes and fairies, freaks and harrys with these black stuff on called Antifa sitting there calling you a Nazi, you a xenophobe, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. When they're the ones that are, it's all the same shit. Oh, absolutely. The, the Antifa are truly the fascists, but they call themselves Antifa, anti-fascists. 
and, and call the people that are American patriots, they call them fascists instead. It's absolutely insane. It's, it's contradictive to sanity. It's dialectic. It's all based on dialectics and opposites. And these, the them, the, the whatever they're doing, calling you what they are. I mean, these are age-old tactics. They're not new. But the reason they're age-old is because they work just like a snap every damn time. A snap trap. Okay. So anyway, the Supreme Court, one of the reasons that it's, let's take one of the things that isn't a political motivation, because they're not all that way, obviously. There's some legitimate things that get up there. Um, and one of the things that the Supreme Court will take, if it's a diversity of issue, and what that means is if the Ninth Circuit ruled one way on the same issue as and the Fifth Circuit ruled opposite, they take those cases yeah, it's okay. called a split, and that's when there's a controversy between the circuits and the interpretation, and they have to have clarification for unification. Yes, basically. Um, so anyway, this one, they're taking another case here. It's on the Second Amendment. It's a challenge to gun control. Let's see. I think from what I read, the case, what, comes out of New York, and it has to do with the regulation that New York passed. Um, yeah, it's a local Berg's municipality uh, special carve-outs that they're trying to end around the Constitution and circumvent natural rights to guard, protect, and defend and trying to limit the ability to transport your defense implement outside of their little Berg into a different Berg. And, I mean, there are a lot of little nuances and criticalities of things, and I think Really, it's just an obfuscation, but an end-around deprivation of the right to keep and bear arms. Well, let's just look at it now. They've taken the court here. We've had a change in the court. We've had a couple of justices added, and it looks like we might get one and maybe even more than one here before this case is heard. And they're saying that it's going to be scheduled for October when they come back in their next session. Okay, They start their annual session in October every year. And so this will be put on the docket for October, and I I don't expect the the wonderful, lovely Justice Ginsburg to still be with us by October, and certainly not active in her capacity of tell having. Me it's not so. Pardon me. I say, tell me it's not so. Oh. She's really not going to be gone by then, will she? Well, oh, she's she's about gone now. Uh so, and there may be somebody else. I mean, hell, who knows what's going to happen between month 10 of this year and now for sure here as we get close to the start of number two. Um, but so it looks like to me that's interesting that they took this case after not taking a Second Amendment case for decades uh, or at least a pretty good while. Uh, and, and with this change that's been and the imminent changes further in, uh, well, Let's say taking a little more of a conservative bent on the justices and the number. The case that came out recently that the four that abstained, I don't remember what it was, it was, but I remember the four that abstained were Sudemeyer and Ginsburg, Beyer, and one of the other ones, you know. Um, so when I talked about the smelly Jews yesterday, uh, but I had I didn't think I'd save the story, but I had saved the story. Uh 
Let's see. Here's NBC News. You want to hear what this has got to say? Let's see what this is. A minute, 48 seconds. No, I did. I shower every day. Okay. This is, this is an actual conversation that somebody's got on a cell phone with these Jews that got kicked off the flight. We talked about it yesterday. Do you, you remember hearing that, Chris? Were you and I talking about it? They were failing to bathe for an extended amount of time and became oppressively odiferous. So, to the extent that it odifered up into the cabin, and the and the captains of the flight could actually smell them. So I didn't see this. Yeah. I th I'd forgotten. I thought I'd dump the story, but I didn't. And here down in the story is this little video, and it's only a minute 48 seconds, and it sounds like an interview with our wonderful, uh, smelly Jewish passengers. I wonder if they smell like gefilte fish. So let me start it. I'll try and get the levels right and get started from the start here. Here we go. I shower every day. I said you kick me off because of religious reasons. We all have showers. You can't complain that we have odor. Seriously. No, I did not say that. You said you were giving me my stuff back. No, I never said that. Yes, you did. My wife is here, and, that's, and we can ask her. Okay. Sir, I'm trying to stay calm. But I want to... You're not calm to me. Your stuff goes... I never told you it was coming up. You I would never her, say you that. You just took her car seat. You took her car seat. No, what are you going to do? You're going to buy me I a car seat now? I never said. You have to calm down. I have to calm down. I have eight children at home, yeah. and there's a religious reason for some reason that they're kicking me off the plane. We don't have odor, okay? Nobody here has odor. Oh, stop. Give me that. Oh, stop. Okay? Okay, you, 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 need, to, you need to exit to the uh, rebooking center so they can rebook you. For He's doing it now. I need to get home tonight, sir, and I need a report of telling me why I was kicked off the plane. I'm not leaving this airport until I was told listen, why I'm getting kicked off. Listen very carefully, because if the captain and the crew do not want you on board, they have final say. They, tell me why. And they have to abide by all the passengers' wishes. Tell me. I need a report. Tell me something. You right. need a report here, but you, we're going to update your reservation. We'll refer back to your reservation. Now, you told me for religious reasons you don't shower. Is that what you said? No, I didn't. Oh, I shower I every day. Today. So what did you say? I said you kicked me off I because of religious reasons. we don't have showers. You can't complain that we have odor. Seriously. No, I did not say that. You said you were giving me my stuff back. No, I never said that. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. My wife is here. Okay, we'll pipe that down. I think you've had enough of uh, that kind of stuff at this point. Hell, I could smell them from here. Well, you know, Roger, she was asking some pretty salient questions. I would wonder if she had some sort of law background in her pedigree, uh, and maybe this was a staged situation to try to provoke confrontation and to make a case and to perhaps get some uh, easy money from the airline to settle it uh, ahead of time under the guise of religious discrimination when it was actually that they were so smelly that everybody on the plane was offended to the maximum by their reeking and, <laughs> and red smells floating all over the plane. Well, so stinking Jews. I mean, you know. Oh, Roger, they're not Jews. They just call themselves they, Jews. Oh, no, he, he was claiming to be because he said, you're you're doing this anti-Semitic stuff. You're doing it for religious reasons because I'm this ethnic variety. Oy vey, oy vey. So anyway, I, if you all want, since I found that uh, story here, on it's on RT. I don't believe you'd have seen it on NBC, although I, that little clip had an NBC logo on it. Uh, the story's on RT. I'll put it in today's show description. Uh, pretty interesting if you want to show folks that um and maybe i should pr put this on there too we can talk about this today chris this is pretty interesting actually 
Uh, Brian Howard sent this to me. Well, Brian's not doing a show anymore. Uh, he uh, found his, it, it was hampering him. He's got two daughters and stuff. And so he kind of had to back out of doing his weekly show. Maybe that'll change down the line. But uh, regardless, he's the one that sent this to me the other day. Gary in Florida. All right, Gary, let me uh, knock that off. i got to go back here. We can add Gary in, I think, if I can type in and find... Let's see here. Gary in Florida, he called. It wasn't a two, so hopefully this is going to get Gary on there. Uh, uh, Gary, chime in. Are you there? This is a heck of a way to have to run a radio show doing this kind of job. Buenos dias. There he is. Hey, amigo. Como estas esta mañana? Uh, I guess I'm doing fine. Okay. I think if I understand it correctly. <laughs> yeah. Hi there, Gary. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Chris and Robert. And uh, how are y'all doing? Good today. All right, all right. Well, on that, on that stinking note, um, <laughs> yeah, I got a kick out of that when I saw that saw the little uh, video. The guy handled it pretty well there behind the desk. I thought he maintained real well what I saw. Yeah, no kidding. Kept his composure and all that, no so, doubt. Gary, you're yeah, relatively. Could be on the take. You're relatively. Yeah, you're relatively new to all this. You stumbled into the program. You had a sense that something was wrong. You, I don't know how long you'd been looking, but somehow through your internet search, you stumbled on one of my videos and you searched us down here and uh, you've listened and become a good student and a friend. And we're happy to have you along. Um, did you know much about these people? Uh, before you got into this in any depth? Well, I, in general, I know a lot of them are, you know, uh, and I don't want to stereotype, but uh, a lot of them are, are uh, opportunists. And, um, you know, so I was aware of that much. So beyond that, uh, not, not too much, though, no. Um, but... Uh, but it's it's uh, it's been quite an eye-opening, um, you know, tenure just kind of hanging on and and tuning in to the show. Been been learning so much from you, Raj, and and the gang that calls in and and you know the material and uh, so and I I did want to I have a few questions and um, and a suggestion up front and. Uh, and no, yesterday you mentioned you're, you've been talking lately about writing a, a second book and something you, that might go over well, that might be received easily or easier is a booklet. Um, you know, something, you know, like a more brief that okay. someone that might not be so attuned to sit and read, you know, 600 pages or whatever it might hit that certain person and like a 20 page booklet type of thing. And, uh, where it's, it's brief and, and, um, to the point, and it's just an idea. It no, it occurred to me yesterday. It, well, it's probably a very justified idea. It's probably a very needed idea. Problem is for me is I don't particularly like to write. And, um, right. But I think after I move here, it's going to get a little bit quieter, quieter for me, and and whatever. And, and I know it's needed, and uh, yeah. 
you know, there's uh, uh, it's just more foundation that needs to be laid, and I take it with a, a total open acceptance because I know that needs to be done, and the burden's really on me. Um, and you know, quite frankly, hell, I'm se- I'm going to be 71 this year, man, and I've been doing this for so many years. Yeah. Uh, to have what I consider to be, I, yeah, of course, it's hard because you don't know the extent of your success and how many ripples in the pond this has caused or where it latently lies with someone that's been exposed. But um, it's kind of disappointing that more people haven't adhered to it and seen the importance of it because everything boils down to what we talk about here. Okay. This is the nexus of the whole plan is they had to make you property to control you with laws and to be able to securitize and collateralize you. That had to happen. And everything is the wellspring from that right there. And they had to do it deceptively. Incredibly deceptively. Oh, genius. You telling um, me that in all these it, it, 150 years, I'm the first sucker that's ever really had this answer? That is, that's, it's astounding. It really is. Um, if, if someone did figure it out, they kept it themselves. I mean, it was virtually unknown. Well, I think um, Justice Fuller had it, but he didn't know because it hadn't been sprung. But he had the foundations of it because in that dissent in Wong Kim Ark, he wrote that the the Fourteenth the Amendment made everything totally uh, unchangeable, and it was the relationship of a liege man to a liege lord. That's jurisdiction and allegiance. He understood those things because he'd been a real estate attorney, okay, and um, uh, and, and so he saw it, but he didn't see what they were going to do with it. Uh, Harlan, the great dissenter, just a few years later, as Wong Kim Ark was in 1896, those insular cases were in the early 1900s. Judge Harlan, the great dissenter, in that wonderful site out of his work, where he said, we've got essentially two governments coming to the bar here. And if one of them overrides, it's going to be the one that controls most of the world, and it'll take over the other one that we've cherished. Okay, basically, a lot better language than that. But he saw it, too. But he didn't know they how they were going to spring the trap later see there there were people that did but they didn't we can look back now and because we got the whole picture behind, also, yes, behind us satan get behind us yeah and I, they, listen we can say that you see now we got the answer right. now we know how to get out of it we can stand up to them and say that and guess what they do they get behind you yeah yeah it's, it's it's so ingenious. And, you know, I was thinking the other day, um, it, it occurred to me, you know, the term U.S. citizen, isn't it interesting how they don't have USA citizen? Oh. And doesn't that denote the two systems of, go- of government? But it does. See, if you look at your passport, get your passport, either one, either slave or bond, a bond or free, uh, in the background paper, it has USA in there. And then it says the okay. passports are only issued to citizens of the United States slash nationals. They cover both bases, okay. but nobody understands what's gone on enough to be able to identify it, point it out, and differentiate them. Right. 
even though right there it's Title yeah. Eight, I think, Chris, we've isolated, eight or 18, where it's got that jurat clause. Okay, and it may be 28. And in there it says, you know, jurat, the penalty of perjury clause. Okay, and it's got two. 1746. What is it, Chris? 28 U.S.C. 1746. 1746. Have you seen that, Gary? No, I haven't. Okay, well, what this is is this jurat. Like, you know, the IRS, well, if you don't sign a 1040 form, they'll send it back to you. I don't care if you tell them you owe $5 million. Hello? Right. Here. So uh, that right. is, that's the penalty of perjury you're at. Well, right there at 28-1746, I think Chris said, they got two of them. One says within the United States, and, it, and the other one says without the United States. And in the second one, it says the United States of America. In the first one, it just says United States. It's right there in the U.S. Code. And if the average person reads it, blow right by it. Well, they don't even understand. Right. No idea. You'll find that in 28 U.S.C. 3002, parenthetical 15. Well, wherever it is, it's in the damn United States Code, the within and without clause. You go back to the slaughterhouses cases, and that's what the phrase, I think that's where they lifted it from. And in the slaughterhouse cases, it's talking about these white butchers, and it says, well, your, your case has to be because it's not within the scope of, uh, of the Supreme Court to settle under the 14th Amendment. It's without. It's over there under the state government. And you've got to go back to them for any kind of satisfaction. Because mm. okay. you brought it up here under the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the new, newly passed 14th Amendment. And you're not black, you're white. Go back to the state. Yeah. So it's everywhere around us. But, boy, they've pulled off a scam, man. Is the most magnificent in history of the world. The great heist, the great heist, which should be called. Um, yeah, and and you know, you mentioned recently um, regarding the process. You know, becoming free, is sending in you know the affidavit, um, and in in the same breath, you mentioned you know the IRS following that and how there needs to be some lead time Ooh. delay. So, so post-filing, post, uh, when, how much time should I give it to notify the IRS so that, you know, well, make sure Washington has their, you know. God, both of you. Both the of, you guys keep giving me these softballs today. <laughs> you may want to, you may want to give them a little extra time, Gary. <laughs> Uh, because according to this article, IRS, because of the shutdown, right. they've, oh, re yeah. they've received 5 million pieces of mail that have gone unopened, Holy cow. and they may be leaving, they may oh. be opening them at least a year from now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, indefinitely. Oh, <laughs> That's that's incredible! Five million pieces. Holy cow! That's uh, yeah, that be... may, may be a while. Uh, 
well, they're so going to be no rush on that, really. <laughs> no, I don't think so. They're going to be a little busy when they get back, maybe for a change. <laughs> wow! It might wow. be a valuable consideration, Mr. Gary, that you do a notarial attestation of mailing to show what documents were placed into the envelope and sealed placed into the U.S. mail to those particular agencies because that becomes prima facie evidence the date of mailing right. is the date of service and they you have mailed the documents out therefore they have been presumed to have been notified whether they opened it or not and they are presumed okay. to have received it okay just that it's the same rule they use on us because they send out stuff to the last known address even though you hadn't lived there in 10 years and, and and if they send it out to someplace you hadn't lived in ten years, it's still considered served to you. Okay, so that's not so much. You're not speaking of the return receipt requested. No, did you know what yeah. notarial receipt? Do you know what that is, Gary? I've never heard of that. All right, Chris, why don't you tell him what it is? Well, that notarial attestation of mailing. Yes, you would want to use the green card, the return receipt requested, because that gets you back uh, Federal Rule of Evidence 901 Parenthetical 7, irrefutable evidence of service. And that okay. becomes part of your evidentiary package. Remember, every communication that you send or receive is potential evidence. You always want Understood. to save the envelopes and the contents. Never mark on them. Make copies if you want to make notes on them and stuff. But the actual documents you never want to alter because it becomes defaced and it becomes non-evidentiary. That's an important Understood. critical Oh, and okay, okay. Is a confirmatory writing where the notary attests to what documents you list the documents on this notarial affidavit that I, the notary, in the above or below title matter, uh, observe first party the. Uh, people, a man, whatever you want to determine yourself as, place these documents, one, your affidavit of status, two, your other uh, evidence of citizenship, and perhaps your DSM-11 form for passport and check and so on and so forth, into this envelope that was sealed before my eyes and placed into the U.S. mail, uh, return receipt requested, receipt number such and such, such and such, this date and this time at this location. Okay. So it's just a secondary right. thing. I, You know, I don't think all that no. is necessary particularly, but if for there are people that really want to take every precaution dealing with these snakes, and I understand that totally. Absolutely. Uh, that, that Absolutely. Is, that's just another way of dotting your I's and, and uh, uh, yeah. crossing your yeah. T's. The federal watchdog national taxpayer advocate determined that it could take the IRS at least a year to get back to normal after 5 million pieces of mail went unopened during the shutdown, reports wow. CBS News wow. correspondent Nancy Cordes. In the first week of the tax season, the IRS is struggling to get America their refunds on time. So they got all that up there. It's, a, it's going to be a massive catch-up to this point, some IRS goon said. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I don't know if you got any real wow. big hurry on getting that up there too, <laughs> but, uh, but in the meantime, uh, if you've already filed it with the secretary of state of the U S you can then go down and get it in your, 
that's something you may want to do, Gary, is get it in the property records office on the property files. And the reason you do that is because you're considered property, and that's where you're going to go to tell them you're not. Right. You know, and you want validation of that? Where does the IRS file their notice of lien? Do you know? I don't. Uh, I, in in the property records right office. Hand. In the property records office. Okay. 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 So and now that that's, that's not logical. the lien. The lien is up in the basement of the treasury. Okay, because it's a a statute staple deal. But the notice of right. that is filed in the property records office where you live because you're the property. And right, so if you're right. going to let people know in your county at the county level in the first end to due process in the public record, you go down and hopefully you've whittled that damn affidavit down to one page and you've only got one page of filing fee to pay. But you go down there and tell them you want to put it on the mm-hmm. property records roll and, and that you want to file this. And even you could put even a, another layer on there and get the certification of the clerk of the court which is nothing more than paying him a few bucks to go over and look and go, yeah, that's right. in the book. Okay, and I'll stamp right. it. Bam. Yeah. And now it's on public record in your area. Right. And then, yeah, you had mentioned that some months ago, that, w- that was one of the departments, or uh, go to the county, file in the county records. And also you mentioned the sheriff, which makes sense. Uh, and so that's really the four entities. Secretary of State, IRS, county property uh, records, and uh, and the sheriff. And notifying him and putting him on notice. I'll tell you another one, though, you might even put in there is the Secretary of State of your state. And you may want to inform him that this affidavit has been submitted and not uh, rebutted by the Secretary of State of the country. And please put this in my administrative file and adjust your records accordingly. Yeah, that couldn't hurt, yeah. Fifth party. You know, okay. what's it? Fifty-five cents. They're they're raising the price of a stamp to fifty-five cents. I read. Yep. So uh, whatever that yeah, and yeah. your return receipt charges are, it's a pretty pretty safe insurance. Yeah. Pretty pretty right. cheap. Yeah, you want to do things correctly since it's such a such a serious business, and and you're making a major major change in your life. And I um, mean, it's it's. But you know. know it, uh, and I'm technically I'm glad you said that because I've been thinking about it since that call last week from guy. I hope he calls back in again, but he, first time he ever called may be yeah. the only time, uh, uh free dumb D U M B. Were you free listening? Free, yeah. free dumb free yeah. was yeah. on there. <laughs> right. And he said, yeah, I heard you. I heard you seven years ago when you maybe sit on Joyce and got your book, read it. And he said, well, I'll sit back and watch old Raj and see how he does. <laughs> And so I guess he's been, yeah, (laughs) guess he's been watching for about seven years now and, uh, about ready to do something on it. Okay. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, like you, you say over and over, it either resonates with you or it doesn't. And, um, we all have our own time timeline, I guess some, you know, want to do it tomorrow and some need, you know, a little bit of time and digest it when i when i was first hearing this you know i guess about a year ago um it was like you said the uh drinking from a fire hydrant and uh but at the same time 
it made sense. Well, you knew it, it, it all adds up. You knew there was something there of great substance. You had the same reaction I did. Absolutely. Great. Yeah, it, it's it's just it all all the dots connect. That's just the thing. It it you know you know they've they've uh, perpetrated this, and uh, you know you know they pulled something, and and you know when you come to find out, you've been had basically your whole life. You've been had, and and you know. Uh, like I said a while back, when I was reading that one, I was reading your, you know, during your book and the word property, it just kind of hit me, you know, thinking of something physical, you know, like your car, your house, whatever piece of land to think you're a, a tangible asset like that. Your literal property is quite sobering. It when is. You know, you're not. You know, you're God. We're God's property. We know that. And you know, seeing we've got you patriots. Know. I've got some good patriot friends, and you try and put this in front of them. But Tom Schramm's one of them. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Brent used to be like that a little bit, you know. And you're right. right. And you see, the thing is, is they're right. But in this system, they've shaded it to where they're wrong, and until they tell them officially in the right way to the right person, yeah. it doesn't shift that presumption. So they're right, but they're wrong. They're wrong they're because they're right they... In, maybe in principle, but not technically. Exactly, because they haven't taken into account the enemy and how he does things. See, it all comes back See, to no, knowing your enemy. And the people that can't think, out, think outside the box can't do, conceptualize that. They have to think within these parameters they've been shown and taught right. and learned. Yes, who's back? somebody's backing up. Who's backing up there? Oh, uh, that was, <laughs> I had a timer going. Okay. It was uh, just a, a reminder. <laughs> I thought, I want to turn this over to Chris. Uh, Chris had something to add, but let me, uh, I just brought a story that's kind of funny to mind. And it happened down there by you, uh, Gary. And uh, Bortz, who I used to listen to all the time, uh, did a bunch uh, of real Neil estate. And, yeah, Neil Bortz used to do, did a lot of real estate investing in Naples. He'd send his wife down there right. to invest all that money that WSB was paying him. Okay. And so he was always bragging on it and stuff. And so one time they were down there in Naples for a weekend, and he said he was in a Walmart. And there was this real, real obese. I know you, it's hard to believe there's obese people in Walmart, but I think there are. And so he was, he was behind this real obese woman in, in uh, uh, Walmart, and her cell phone went off. And it was that right there. It was that beep, beep, that, beep. And Bort, so funny. Bort said out loud, he said, look out, she's backing up. Look out. She's backing up. That's the load. <laughs> oh, and he said funny. she turned that around and funny. gave him a look from hell. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet she did. Well, so that's that why funny. that came to me. Look out. She's backing up. Chris, what were you going to say? <laughs> look out, everyone. Clear, clear <laughs> way. Just pointing out that denial is not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> ah, what a wonderful transition. You guys are softballing me today, man. I'm telling you, that's three of them, all right? Uh, so denial in Egypt is going to lead in right to where I was going when Gary called. And I'm going to post it up in today's show notes. It's about a 25-minute documentary that is exceptionally well done. And it is titled... If you want to go look this up in YouTube, you don't have to wait for me to post it. 
finding the mountain of Moses, colon, the real Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia. Now, I'm going to tell you what, the stuff that's on this 25-minute video is compelling, okay? And this guy who wasn't particularly spiritual is the one, I think he's gotten that way, and I, I believe it's Ryan Morrow, M-A-U-R-O, American. And he goes over uh, on the other side of Egypt to the Saudi Arabia and the Red Sea, and they show some exceptionally high-quality video here in lands that are staked out and forbidden for you to be on with fences and stuff to get in and see all of these places that are literally talked about in the is Israelites getting away from the Egyptians via the Red Sea, okay? And even to the point of a, a mountain there that even the locals for in their language for as long as their culture's been there, call it the mountain of Moses. And where the top of the mountain is scarred and darkened, and there are no reasons geologically why. Like when, when there was fire and, 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 and Moses received the Ten Commandments on top. I mean, this is a real compelling video, folks. Okay, to the like things the that are yeah. that are mentioned in the journey, in the biblical journey, where they found this place with twelve wells and this little oasis with seventy palm trees. Well, they show you the place. It still has twelve wells. Okay. You know, Roger, this scenario is not radically different than the Smithsonian here in this country. Whenever they hide away the truth from the people because they don't want them to know the truth, because the truth is dangerous to their false stories. Their invented fake Israel that they've stolen from the Palestinians, it underlies and belies their lies clearly to the people who actually know that the origination of the spiritual stories that were incorporated later on by Justinian at his Council of Nicaea into their Bible, uh, really had their emanations from Gilgamesh and others in Mesopotamia and Iran and Iraq and Syria. And those areas is where the birth of Christianity and the stories that support all those truths emanate from. Well, I'd encourage all of you to look at this because I think, it, it, as I said, it's so compelling. I've used that adjective a couple of times, but it really is uh, provocative, compelling, um, you can't walk away with, uh, from watching it without sitting there thinking you've really seen something that's very important. Even to the fact that towards the end of the video, they, um, I might could even dig it up and play it. They uh, uh, interview a 71-year-old World War uh, I pilot that in that area that flew missions in that area during World War II, I think, not one and was told before he set off to intentionally avoid the area by the Saudi government. It, it was a no-fly zone, even back in the 40s, Chris. Oh, absolutely. It's kind of oh, like the Arctic go. and the Antarctic Let me see. being a no-fly zone. Okay, this is, current, this is Lieutenant Clyde Morgan. Is this gentleman's name? He's elderly. 
World War II, he was the personal pilot for the King Abin Saud, the founder of Saudi Arabia. He was the, the founding king of Saudi Arabia's personal pilot. Let's see if I can kick this in here. Let me see. I got get the volume up. Let's see how this comes across. You're clipping out there. Right? All right. Well, hold on. We'll yep, see. If we, we're losing you. All right. Is this another one of these deals? Yep. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hold on. Be external. No, Chris. It's this damned internet pardon my french i get so aggravated Russia. with this crap i should be back in a second or am i back yet it's an honor to meet you well, thank am you. i back yet yep. you are back. okay well this is queued up it that took it a, it took it a youtube a minute to find it so here's this here's this guy that's clyde morgan he was the personal pilot for the founding king of saudi arabia we have we our lives have intersected possibly in something very historic and we're talking about where the real mount sinai is located and uh, i had no idea that someone as far back as world war ii would have seen the mountain and had been told that the mountain was the holy mountain of moses did any of the Muslims tell you that that was a holy? Oh yes, oh yes. I guess everybody in the military knew it was holy. Yeah. Well, they forbid me to fly around it, and it was off limits. That I'd be killed either by God or by maybe some of them. I don't know. And when I took off, I was half scared to death. You bet I flew around it but it was different than the rest of the mountains because it was black on top? Oh, it was a blackish green. It was dark enough to be uh, somewhat frightening. You don't know what I really believe. I think it's Mount Sinai. I think God let me fly around it. That's what I think. I think Pretty cool, huh? He was told wow. to fly around it because he'd either be killed by them or God. Okay. Now, this is in World War II, folks, all right? The, the founding king of Saudi Arabia, and in their language, they call it the Mountain of Moses. Hmm. It's very, interesting. It's very, very interesting. Do what, Chris? We got to get you that. Please get me that attachment, man. Please. I was saying, I think Moses' true name was Moesha. Well, I thought it was Moshe, but uh, who knows? Well, they kind of pronounce yeah. it that way, I believe, in their language. He talks to some of them in interviews, yeah. and he gets it right out of their mouth. But I watched it, you know, a couple of days ago. Yeah. But uh, a very provocative video. They go into and they go over the geography of the entire Red Sea and where the Red Sea could have been parted. And where was the, it, the place where uh, this many people could be beached? And they found one particular beach, and they went to try, and it's uh, they've got a little bit of a resort there, and they do some scuba diving, and they went to try and rent scuba gear so they could go scuba diving, and the police showed up and wouldn't let them rent it and made them leave. I think this is the Egyptian police, mm. okay? And um, But somebody, some researcher, took some underwater drones, and took that path to the other side where that beach is and sent those drones down on the floor of the Red Sea, and you could see things like 
where it was possible that it was, say, chariot wheels that up on one yeah, end yeah. and over that thousands of years they've been encrusted with barnacles there's nothing inside but you could see the distinct figurines and things on the floor of what could probably have been the only path that they could have gotten across to the other side it's a very provocative video um i think y'all will yeah. uh, be real stimulated watching it so i'll stick that up at the bottom of the show description along with the stinking jews and uh let me give the title of this again finding the mountain of moses colon the real mount sinai in saudi arabia quite provocative film uh what kind of elevation are we talking that's not real huge. You can see it right there. They show you from different perspectives and from the air and everything. But what's really interesting about it, Gary, is it's clearly got that different coloration at the top. Huh. Like it's been burned. Yeah. Yep. Charred. And they said there's no geological reason for it underneath the, underneath the rocks. So, and then they've got a bunch of those little areas that are critical to the story. And he mentions a few other examples that I can't quote right off the top of my head, but they've all got fences around them. It's forbidden, you know, shoot you yeah, if you've yeah. come in there. It's oh. a, it, it, obviously somebody knows something. You don't put specific yeah. places off limit as far back as this pilot's talking about without there being some kind of significance there. No doubt about it. You wish you could take a drone and just fly it in over the mountain. and uh, But uh, you'd have to have some kind of range with it, for sure. Then you wouldn't get shot down. These guys have but got anyway, some pretty cool... I, I, the footage they've yeah. got is real cool, and obviously a lot of it's drone stuff. Uh, very impressive. Right. Very right. impressive. I, I recall many years ago, uh, there was talk about finding chariot wheels and I remember seeing uh, pictures of it. I, I don't know if it was the bottom of the Dead Sea or um, where they, um, I think they've crossed. Uh, oh, I forgot. It's been so long. But, but also, wasn't it years ago, maybe 30 years ago, that they came out with uh, Noah's Ark being on Mount Ararat in Turkey? Yes, there's been a lot of that. I've seen some videos on that, this, that, and the other. Uh, and I think turkeys put the Mount Ararat off limits too. Hmm. Is that so? Wow. That's interesting. I may not be totally right on that, but it seems like that they didn't in the early days when people were doing some of that exploration that we saw decades ago. But I, it may right. be off limits now, especially with the political stuff we've had with Turkey here lately. Yeah, true. Yeah, who knows? That's uh, that's pretty chilling, though. You know, I find out about some mountaintop that's uh, more or less been burned, and to think that wow, the fingerprint of God, perhaps. And uh, no, wait, you no. see that in if you watch the video in person and see the that seventy-one-year-old pilot that we just played a little bit of, and we'll, and look at his reaction. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I bet. Pretty interesting. I bet. Yeah, that'd be fun to sit down with him. Yeah, well, I'm, with him. I'm probably it's probably not possible anymore. I don't know. He looked he looked yeah. like he wouldn't make it till tomorrow. So let's see what else did I have here. Right. I've got a new uh, a new Australian 
video on, from our uh, birth certificate guy, and I just haven't watched it yet. Um, gets like watching the guy that that has no vowels. You know, you know, I'm talking about Chris David Windmiller. Is that a guy's name? Windmiller, oh, right? Yeah. Quantum grammar, parse syntax. Uh, are you talking about Justinian's deception or somebody else? It's called the perfect crime. Is this guy from Australia that did that other birth certificate video? Daryl, I think Daryl dug this up or something. Um, here's that here's that little uh thing i was talking about you and i were talking about earlier chris to overcome the article three limitation on standing often referred to as the injury in fact requirement a plaintiff a plaintiff one bringing must at a minimum show an actual or threatened injury caused by the defendant and the favorable judicial decision is likely to redress the injury. So there's your natural law. They have to have this, this clause there they call to overcome the Article Three limitation on standing. So that's going to say you can't bring a court case into this court because you're a U.S. national and this is for serfs and you don't have standing. But there's an exception to that, a clause that's often referred to as the injury in fact, and that's in quotes, requirement. That there. Yeah. Valley Forge, well, I sent you the whole brief, Chris. Valley Forge Christian College uh, versus American United for Separation of Church and State. It's a U.S. Supreme Court case, and if they did their 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 uh, citing correctly, which they did, it's in 1982. Hmm. I'll have to check my email. When was that today? Well, I, no, I sent it. I sent it a couple of weeks ago. I, I believe I sent it to uh, to uh, uh, Brent, and I sent it to uh, Patrick and Ike, and I think I copied you on it too. My sincere apologies for not taking specific note to that. In Mavita Loca, things are a little trepidatious. And oh, yeah, well, no, we kind of understand what your schedule's about. There are, let's see if I can continue to read here. There are, in addition, prudent principles applying to standing that limit the class of persons who may invoke a, court, a, a court's powers. And there's some sites there. Uh, the court listed the three prudent principles. One, the plaintiff must assert his own rights and may not rely on the constitutional rights of third parties. Number two. Ah, that's natural rights they're talking about there. Right. Number two, you must assert your natural rights. Okay. What are you doing? You're being a belligerent claimant, right? Number two, the court must not adjudicate, in quotes, generalized grievances, unquote, that are more appropriately addressed by the executive or legislative branch of government. So that's number two. And three, in other words, you can't come in here with the proof that the 16th Amendment was never ratified, because we're going to say it's not a judicial question, it's a political question. 
And then when you go to the Congress and you say, hey, we got proof the 16th Amendment wasn't ever ratified, and they go, well, that's not a, a, a political question. It's a judicial question. And they throw it back to the courts, and they throw it back and forth like a hot potato. And get nowhere. So here, let's see if we can get to number three here. The plaintiff yeah. must come within the zone of interests to be protected or regulated by the statute or constitutional guarantees in question. So those are the three other tests. But the main one is this injury in fact requirement that you have to have a, an injured party, and that's common law. you got to have an injured party. Absolutely. If there's not an articulable injury to property or person, then there's no standing to bring a matter before the court. There well, has to be something that's truly damaging that's either financial or physical to articulate specificity what the harm was. Well, now, Chris, in here it says specifically or threatened injury. Threatened injury, not just actual, but threatened. And it says that right there in the court case. So that's kind of interesting, too. In fact, the threats to national security and public safety by people being unlawfully placed into the NCIC and other governmental databases presenting a clear and present imminent danger and threat to their lives and many lives, in fact, by the FBI and other agencies preying upon people by putting innocent people into that database so they can investigate them ad infinitum and steal money from the American people, felony criminal conversion of the people's money to their own self-interest is theft by deception, fraud, and criminal. Yeah, man. So uh, anyway, I stumbled on that. Here's a couple of other tabs that aren't of interest to you folks. But uh, Gary, did you have any other questions or comments? Or Chris, we got about, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes, 20 minutes left or so. A little bit. Um, probably more softballs for you. <laughs> Good. I like but, those. Um, yeah, those will work, right? Um, but, you know, just, just now you mentioned, or just before you mentioned, the, the birth certificate. And I understand it's basically, isn't it held at the Department of Vital Statistics? I think you mentioned that maybe yesterday. Well, that's where they and produce it according to, their, to Brian's research. It. Now... And they okay. hold it at that point and, with armed guards around some sort of a safe, and I would imagine that's a, in perpetuity. That's what I was wondering. I didn't know if he was at the hospital inquiring or at, at that department, and I thought if that's, if that's the title to their property, us, um, and it's in a vault, is, it in, is that vault at the Department of Vital Statistics? Yes, and I, I believe Brian that. said that he went to the Bureau of Vital Statistics. Oh. Okay, okay. I didn't know if he was at the hospital or okay. Well, he was gotcha. at both. He got the information from the hospital, and I believe he said he went to the Bureau of Vital Statistics. Sometimes he listens. Okay. He may be out there listening, I call in. And I seem to recall that Brian told us specifically he was taken into the bowels of the hospital yes. to a secret room where there was a vault there, and the lady said, well, you're not going to use this against me, are you? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think she right. told him it's not the vault was there, the terminal was there. 
yeah, and that they take the paper, they take the paper, yeah. the information fact sheet that's been generated from the birth, and they take it over to the terminal, and that's where they input the information. And it goes to another vital statistics bureau, and that's where they print from that information the birth certificate. Okay. Manufacturer's certificate of origin for the actual physical yeah. live record. Yeah, the MSO on us. It's uh, it's it's okay. even more so than that. And if you go and you may want to do a little study on this, this was John's idea, and I've always found it to be what I think is a correct one in my years since. It is a document in the commercial law called a warehouse receipt. So it's not a bill of. Well, I will. Yeah. Okay. Not a bit background. Yep. The uh, the warehouse receipt is an old commercial document. It's been in use, I guess, as long as the merchant law has been around. Okay, and. It actually represents the good. So as opposed to a bill of lading or our manufacturer's statement of origin, that just shows where the, that may be the title to it. But it's not the good. It's only the title to the good. This becomes the actual good. Okay? As the court case that John quoted from the 1700s, in, it was a Supreme Court case in our country, dealing with the warehouse receipt case on on cotton and it was down from new orleans right. and as we've talked about the case before and i don't remember the style i don't remember the title of it sales of cotton something probably but regardless uh the cotton is not fungible and that means that it's not all the same Yes, but one bale of cotton is not exactly the same as the other one. Might not be wrapped the same. May not be the same weight. Mm -hmm. Might not be the same whatever. Okay, so they're not fungible. That's a important word to understand: fungible and fungibility. Okay, so each one of the bales of cotton, because of their uniqueness, had to have their own warehouse receipt generated. And as the as Chris was citing there, of what I remember from John telling us in that seminar, the in the decision, the judge says the goods take on a shadowy existence and actually become the paper. So, that's, if that's if, if that's right, and I sense it is then you take on a shadowy existence and your ownership becomes the birth certificate that they hold. Yeah, and then and and yeah, and then you wonder what are we? <laughs> well, you're you're, you're, well you're a thing. You're a thing. Yeah, we're a thing. <laughs> um it's just it's so diabolical. And who else better to do this? than the people that have been the masters of slavery for thousands of years. Who else better to come yeah, up with a plan like this, a back-ass way where they could, before they could only uh, enslave certain numbers of people? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, we know who's all behind it. Has to be. Well, you know, that, that, that 
evil spirit. It has to be. It is. And, um, and Don, our good listener in Thailand, sent me three new videos on this topic. I'd not seen any of them. I watched, I think, all, most of all three of them this morning. Uh, one of them I didn't get through because I think I've seen the oratory before, and it's on this history of Jewish slave trade. Okay, and back then they could only enslave the people they could catch, or that other people would catch for them. Now this was an astounding statistic to me that came out of that. There was approximately one million blacks that were brought to the Americas by these creeps that that made the voyage. Okay, nine out of ten didn't make the voyage. So, nine million of them perished, either in captivity, in the trek to the coast, through whatever mechanizations went on on the trip, two to three month trip over, where they had to live in squalor and absolute horror. I mean, you, 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 your, your imagination could just run wild when you hear oh, yeah. these things and the fact that they were bought for $20 and sold for 2000 a piece. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's horrific. It's horrific. You know, uh, um, and you know, it wasn't too long ago. You, you played, uh, the David Duke clip, which is really enlightening and educational. And, uh, and I texted you after that, um, while back and i said it, it hit me like a right between the eyes it's like the jewish slave trade i was thinking of, of us you know as u.s citizens like oh it's it's alive and well yeah well see know? now they got so look at this thinking, alive and well from a history, yeah, yeah. It, it is prospering and flourishing they don't have to catch Thriving. anybody all they got to do is right. get people to go out and have sex and get impregnated and yeah. start procreating. That's and it. they've got a new slave born every second. Boom, 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 boom. In perpetuity, oh, no. and yeah. they don't understand the legal relationship or right. the system. You talk about, right. like I said, but they had to go chase them down in Africa or get somebody else to capture them and then carry them. Well, hell, all they got to do is just go get them that little piece of paper and get it taken over there to the terminal and get that information shot to the Bureau of Vital Statistics. Bam, you're done. And dangle that carrot. Hey, all these benefits. You know? Oh, look at all this freedom you've got. You're so free. You know, you being American. And, uh, and, and, you know, and that's just through all the propaganda that, you know, we're thinking the U.S. citizen is the American way. Well, it is the American way. It's been the, but it's the wrong way. <laughs> um, misled way. But, you know, I, I, I was thinking for the longest time about the Jewish slave trade, and I'm thinking farther back. I'm thinking, you know, a couple hundred years ago and, and just, you know, that era of time, and you, you get these pictures in your head. Then all of a sudden, the analogy, the direct parallel hits. It's like, whoa, it's no different than right now. And, and, and it just, oh, sure, you're not in shackles, but you're in a different kind of shackle, an intangible shackle. And like you said, you know, if you think you're free, name me something that you can do without a license, tax, blah, blah, blah. And uh, permission. Or... It, it's just a permit. It's uh, a 
permit. Yeah, that too. That's right. But, uh, and then speaking of the benefits and all, post affidavit, like I know someone in the community here, they have, and they were, they're somewhat interested in the message and they ha they receive their, their health care. They use all the tax credits. Would they have to, um, I guess they use their tax credits towards their health care. And, um, so that's really, I don't know if that's considered affordable health care, but um, I, I'm wondering, would they have to cancel that out? I don't know, uh, and I don't have higher. the I don't have the answers to all those questions. And I haven't been in the states since I've been on Social Security. Right. I don't want any of their health stuff myself. Uh, no doubt. Uh, I, I prefer much prefer to self insure and do preventative stuff. Sure. But uh, I hear somebody right. calling in. I got to copy this number down and call them back. So just hold on. Go ahead, Gary, if you got something to say here. Uh, yeah, it, I was just uh, just curious on the yeah the tax credits and because I know some folks use those tax credits for. I guess you would call it a benefit, and it would be interesting to know what those all those benefits are. All right, Hold but on. that would per pertain to if you receive the benefits, you owe the duty. I understand the correlated duty, um, but uh, anyway, go ahead. Well, I'm just trying to dial this person in that was trying to call us. They knew, yeah. So I had to write yep. the number down and call them I back here. Jesus. Six and my eyes aren't the greatest in the world. I'm going to get this macular degeneration beat one of these days. Let's see if I can call this when person. When you move, okay. When you move, are you going to have a new system then? Or I know uh, Paul's been he enlightened you to something. A new system? Well, he said he found a way to get around Hello, this. Hello, Roger. It's Thomas Maddox. Hey, Thomas Maddox. Nice to hear from you. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, man. I just wanted to... Um, uh, ask you about being on a conference call and talking about this passport with a large group of people. I'd love to do it. Uh, would uh, 7 or 8 p.m. Thursday evening be okay with you? I can't see any conflict at this point. How long will it last? Oh, 30 minutes to an hour. I have better, better make it an hour. It's hard to cover this much ground in 30 minutes. <laughs> Very good. I wanted to give you the option. <laughs> good. Thomas, where are you, where are you so, calling from? It's better make it an hour. It's hard to the heart of Texas. Okay. Good enough. Um, Very good. I wanted to give you the option. Somebody's got a radio on in the background. Is that you? Do it now? Somebody had a little radio. I'm getting a feedback. I can hear the message. Thomas, why don't yeah, you send me? This off. Yeah, that'd be a good let idea. Let me mute this. Okay. Let me mute this. Okay. Thomas, we've, there we go. we've spoken before, right? Briefly one time? Didn't didn't you call in the show one time here a few months back? Yes. Yes, it's been a while. I believe Mike Gaddy was on, and yeah. I was on a couple of times, and uh, we you, were talking about the passport, state citizenship versus U.S. citizenship, right. and all this crazy stuff they've done with this 14th Amendment that people still look at you like you got a third eyeball in the center of your head when you try to explain it to they them. They sure do, don't they? you got a friend named Thomas, too, that has a business, because he called in that day, too, if I remember right. 
I believe that was Thomas Monroe, maybe. Could have been. I don't know all the last names. I just remember both of y'all's first name was Thomas. Uh, why don't you drop me an email at Radio Ranch at mail.com. Radio Ranch, all one word, at mail, M-A-I-L, dot com. And we'll get in touch and set up the details, okay? All right. Radio Ranch at mail.com. Yep. I uh, tried to uh, send you an email after that show, and I never did get any response from you. So I don't remember I, uh, exactly. I was looking to, con- uh, to hook up with you. I don't remember seeing anything like that. But I had my email okay, well, went down. Subject. Well, what, this my, time in the subject, I'll put my name in there. Thomas okay. Maddox, well, uh, you use this email. This email address is a little more dependable than the other one. That other one went down on me oh. for over a month, and I've lost all the emails that came in in that period of time, and they're down again today. Oh so for the first time since they got back up. So anyway, uh, that's a much more reliable one, Thomas. And if you'll just uh, shoot okay. it over there, and I'll see it this afternoon or this evening, and get a hold of you, and we'll. Uh, commence from there does that sound good fantastic brother good enough well do that and uh i will we're going to be doing this on a go-to meeting conference call so it's really kind of professional we've been using it for about two years now right yeah it'll be all good and all that stuff how many uh how many people you think how many people you think will be on the call I don't have a clue. I've got a bunch here in Texas that are interested, ready to do their passports right now. They just need that little uh, nudge over the uh, edge. Okay. Uh, a great friend, and you know her. You've talked about her on the radio show, uh, Virginia uh, oh, yes. Reyes, and her husband right. both have passports here in uh, Texas. Right. Well, she went, let me tell you a cool story. I don't know if you've talked to her since Christmas, but they went to California where they have a large uh, family in California. And they went to the airport and um, go up there with their passport, and they tell them, okay, go over here and get in this line. Then this guy runs over there right after they get in this line and says, oh, no, that's the wrong line. You need to be over here in this line. They put them in a line without all the TSA stuff, without all the scanning, without all the going through the bags and everything, and they just walked right through and got on the airplane. Is that it right? Was so cool. I was like, I was like, wow. There's there's just one little tidbit, you know, that they removed them out of this enemy of the state line and put them over here in the VIP line. I'm like. Well, wow, let me another. tell you, let me tell you something mm. that kind of confirms that that I got from another source just within the last couple of weeks, Thomas. Skype has switched over their software and is that's why I had to call you back instead of taking your call. And um in trying to figure out how to do it those early first couple of days, I had a software guy, an IT guy, get a hold of me and said I can help you. So we had a conversation and he shot me an email at mail.com, and he was telling me he had already filed his paperwork some time back, but when his IT career, he'd worked for about 20 or 25 agencies, so he had a lot of connections, and he had somebody run his profile at a higher level than him, and it came back that the guy basically had diplomatic immunity and that he was listed one level under a courier. See, uh, and, and I don't know the nomenclature or what those 
different levels mean, but it's secondhand information, so you can't verify it, but it confirms what you said. Or what you said confirms yeah, what he... put it out there on the Internet and tell everybody it's going to be word of mouth. And this is what blows everybody's mind. They think everything should be in black and white where you can just read yep. it right yep. there or it's not real. That's a big, fall, a big, big falling point of our entire community. I can assure you it's irrefutable that many times they speak by the doctrine of infrastructure. Things that are implied by things that are said on the paper that refer to things that exist outside the four well, corners of the document for the adepts that are supposed to know. What, what are you talking about right there? Why don't you synthesize that down to one phrase, the presumption of law? They're talking in phrases that, that reinforce the presumption that's been done that's got you in slavery, slavery and servitude. Yeah, they're working out the presumption of the Fourteenth Amendment uh, took over, and here you go. Well, they're working there it is, right this. There. You know, we got the proof, Thomas, and I don't know if you heard this show. You can get my shows over on Cast C A S T Castbox FM. And if you didn't hear the December fifth program, I would highly advise you to spread it among your among your group and to make sure that you listen to that yourself because it confirms everything that we've been saying. And it comes out of Texas, it comes out of Austin, and one of the big hospitals there, and one of my better students, who has absolutely, totally confirmed the birth process and how the birth certificate is generated, and it totally confirms the entire thesis. You're in the feudal era. Your parents do not sign that piece of paper. They take it straight over to a government terminal, of which there's one in every hospital. The baby's information is input into that terminal. It is sent to the Bureau of Vital Statistics where a birth certificate is issued from the information and then put in a safe that is manned by armed guards. Wow. So they know what they're doing at these hospitals. They know. Well, no, they don't. No, no, they don't know what they're doing per se, but I think they know that it's not right because when he was doing this investigation, the gal that he really confronted in the bowels of the hospital said when he sat down, he went in very informally dressed, very, hey, I'm just building these folders for my daughters. And the gal goes, wait a minute. And she goes off for 10 minutes and she comes back and the very first words out of her mouth were, you're not going to use anything I tell you against us, are you? Mm. What's that say? Wow. Okay. Now, what they don't know is the full scope of it. But I think they know that it's not right and that it's part of this intrusive government control that we're under. They just have no idea that they're helping these pieces of property get born into collateralization and securitization. Well, you heard uh, about the couple that uh, had their baby in Alabama while they were on some uh, nationwide trek, and they decided not to give the baby the the social security number right there at the hospital and the hospital came in there and snatched the baby i haven't heard about that but the social security number is not the nexus it's the birth certificate okay yeah, 
Well, I'm sure there were some other things they didn't want to do. I think it was a birth certificate, too. The birth like certificate, I've had a couple of students that one of them was real smart, and they kept trying to get the name so they could fill out the birth certificate information, and they said, well, we hadn't decided on a name yet. And so they got the kid out of the hospital without a birth certificate because they had not given it a name yet. And so later, you know what the hospital did? They, they put the damn birth certificate through anyway. Hmm. You know why? Sounds like a car car dealership I used to work for. Yeah, no kidding. You know why? You know why, Thomas? They get, I think they get $5,000 for every one they send in. I was just going to say this. That's exactly what this car dealership uh, used to do. They would send in the uh, uh, MSO, even though it hadn't been sold, so they could get more units. Well, that means more money. There you go. Well, listen, Thomas, I look yeah. forward to meeting with your group on Thursday, and I'm really glad you called in. I'll put you here in the database so uh, I won't have to copy your number down next time. And I'll look forward to talking to you guys on Thursday night. And I'll tell you what, you try and get with me this afternoon and this evening, and I can announce it tomorrow and Thursday, too. Fantastic. Okay. I'll do it. All okay, right, buddy. It looks like you're about to the end of your show. Uh, thanks. Love everything you're doing. Uh, see you soon. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see each other Thursday. And uh, I appreciate the call. All yes, of that put up with our ramblings today. Hope you got something out of it, Gary and Chris and Robert. Thanks for calling in. We'll see you guys tomorrow with Paul. Sir Paul is going to join us manana in la manana. So we'll see you then with Paul. Have a good day. Okay, guys. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. Manana, 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 and la manana. Swap.